everyone and welcome to the 73rd edition DF Direct Weekly. It is our weekly show where we talk about the latest gaming and technology news. Uh, plenty on the lineup for discussion this week, uh, including some uh, really interesting new news on new hardware, more memory for Xbox Series S and a remarkable debut for Kratos on Xbox consoles. And uh, talking <laughs> to me about that, first of all, John Linneman. Rich, uh, I've just been enjoying some Street Hockey 95 and uh, yeah, ready to shift gears and talk about Kratos on Xbox. Yeah, and uh, of course, Alex Batalia. Yeah, well, you've been enjoying such fine Kratos on Xbox games. I've been looking at Final Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origins, another high quality entry. Uh, we'll talk about that too. Yeah, good stuff. There's much to discuss, so let's get on with it. Okay, let's talk about our first news story. Uh, not really a news story as such, more a sort of disaster in the making. Uh, but this week, um, Xbox finally received its debut uh, God of War title, or rather War Gods, Zeus of Child. Um, <laughs> the most, I mean, the, the footage is likely playing out on screen now as you see it, and um, suffice to say it's not Kratos' fine, finest hour. Um, uh, this is just a really bizarre story. Definitely we're in the midst of the silly season. John, let's talk about this. You've been playing it. We've been, <laughs> I've been playing, playing it. it. We have the exclusive multi-platform comparison of how this remarkable <laughs> game plays out on all Xbox systems. But there's a bit of a weird story to this. Yeah, so we've been playing it quote unquote because uh there's really not much to it you drop your you're in this arena you you have a kratos model enemies spawn forever uh there's no collision detection there's no animation when walking backwards you just sort of you know press buttons and the score goes up until you die and uh i i guess so it's kind of like what is this and here's what made it weird right like how the heck did this end up on the store? We wanted to know. And there actually is an answer to it, although now it has actually been removed. Uh, this is not Life of Black Tiger. It's technically worse, and it probably shouldn't have ever appeared on here in the first place, I suppose. Uh, Rich, yeah. like, what, what, did, what did you find about how this came to be? Because it's super weird. Well, <laughs> it started last Tuesday where uh, Wesley Yinpo on Eurogamer just uh, was sort of delving deep into the depths of Reddit and discovered uh, a small discussion about this game. And <laughs> um, seemingly somebody had sneaked on a game onto the Xbox marketplace <laughs> that was total trash, that was essentially, you know, basically starring Kratos. Yeah, they ripped the model. Uh, they, they just basically ripped the model, <laughs> stuck it into Unity, created... Um, I struggled to call it a game. Um, a time-wasting exercise, probably. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, and then it was available for, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five days on the Xbox Store. You could download it. Uh, John and I both bought it. You know, wow. You know, in the interests of preservation, yeah, of, course, of course. Because we knew that it would be deleted. Uh, as soon as Microsoft were aware. And it was. But <laughs> it was, yeah, within 24 hours. Uh, the question is really, how on earth did this happen? How on earth did somebody just, you know, uh, you know lash up something in Unity, starring Kratos, stick it on the Xbox store, and profit, essentially. And uh, it turns out 
that's similar to, I guess, the um, uh, Google Play, possibly the uh, App Store on Apple. Um, there seems to be a way to sneak in games that essentially have no oversight from the platform holder whatsoever. And in this case, it's the Xbox Creators Collection, yeah. where you can put anything on there, absolutely anything. Microsoft does not review the content, although it might start to in the wake of this. And uh, yeah, this is what you get. You know, just um, I wouldn't even call it shovelware. Uh, because shoveling involves effort. <laughs> there was no effort put in on this whatsoever. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's basically the Wild West. Anybody can, can get a title uploaded onto the Xbox Marketplace via this creator's collection. There's no achievements. There's no oversight from Microsoft in any way. Um, if you search for it on the Xbox Store, it won't come up. Um, yeah, essentially, you you kind of I had to use Google to find the page, and um, there are some interesting stuff to it. First of all, it seem it's seemingly compatible with Hololens. Oh yeah, <laughs> and secondly, um, although it doesn't actually have an official Peggy rating, uh, it was self certified as Peggy eighteen extreme violence. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's yeah. the rating thing that confused me, actually. It's like, wait, this seemed to have ESRB and PEGI ratings, but I guess it's just... The, the whole thing is fascinating to me. I actually think it's really cool that they allow this kind of thing, where you can just essentially upload your creations. It almost turns the Xbox into like a Roblox-like platform, which is cool, I think. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you know, there are some constraints to consider, and... Although they don't seemingly monitor what goes online, I guess this one sort of crossed some lines, I suppose. Well, I'll tell you what, John, when you first boot it up and you get that made in Unity flash that comes up, <laughs> I, I had to laugh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think some stuff like this, I do think gives it probably contributes a little bit to the sometimes unfair uh distaste people have for unity games because i think unity can be an amazing engine uh but there's definitely sometimes issues but more importantly due to the way it works you know uh it is fair you know compared to other solutions it's a good solution for getting just anything built and made that you might ever dream of right it's really good for this kind of thing even though technically here they really didn't make a game i'd say it just it's just a few parameters that they set up and uh, you know, it's just a little test thing, which is funny, but the fact that they're charging money for it, and in fact, they have accosted upwards of $8 from Digital Foundry now. Uh, it's a little bit, yeah, yeah it's something. Sounds like you were mugged by the game, John. It like, feels, that, like came up it feels that way sometimes when, when this showed up, you know? Well, you know, first of all, when we saw this, I mean, it was a game running on Xbox. The only slight indication that we had that something was amiss was that John uh, couldn't use my copy. Uh, it said that there was a device limitation in play That's right. on my Microsoft account. That's weird. Which which happens on <clears throat> Windows Store games. Um, yes. Hmm. Well, we were actually removing uh, Xbox because obviously being digital foundry we have a lot of xboxes between us i think i myself have upwards of like five or six different xbox systems all of us have a lot of xboxes right so we log into these accounts with many xboxes and it 
it was not uh, unthinkable that we might have reached some sort of arbitrary limit. But it turns out that just removing the Xboxes from the accounts uh, had no impact because it was actually UWP or the, you know, the Mm -hmm. Windows stuff that was having an issue. And that is limited, it seems, to 10 systems. Yeah, that's right. Something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is extremely annoying, totally arbitrary and um, should be removed, by the way. It's another annoyance. I had that recently with um, Forza Horizon 5, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had it with my account, too. And I found, I mean, all my old PC builds were in there and like uh, several Xboxes, including like the old VCR Xbox was in there. (laughs) It Uh, it goes back to like 2005 and you're like, I don't even remember this PC. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wait, what was that? It's like, okay. So, you know, just imagine this game appearing and, you know, Digital Foundry potentially covering it. Because we were thinking it of almost covering happened. it. Because b- before we, we, were, we sort of dug deeper and discovered the uh, creator collection and what it actually is, we were thinking, you know, the first question I asked John is, is this worse than Life of Black Tiger on PlayStation 4? I said, yes. And your answer was, yes, Absolutely. because that was, actu- that was actually a game. <laughs> <laughs> well actually the first concern we had was like let's make sure that this wasn't made by like a kid or something you know who, ju- who just likes god of war and wanted to do something like because you know i wouldn't want to trample on on their dreams because you know if a little kid threw this together learning unity or something that that's cool uh but this has a company behind it and that company has produced uh many games of similar quality you can find them actually if you search for for War God Zeus of Child and their publisher, you'll find um, a lot of games on this store. Isn't one of them like a Fall Guys ripoff style? There's, there's something like that. There's like a bus driving simulator. Uh, there's a range <laughs> of different games, and most of the most of them are ripoffs. So it, it's just asset flips. So John, I mean, everybody wants to know. Now we have established that it is a bona fide company, not a child. <laughs> Everybody wants to know the DF analysis. And um, you looked at, I can't believe I'm saying this, Xbox Series consoles. <laughs> I looked at Xbox One and Xbox One X. Take it away. I mean, it seems to be 1080p and it targets 60 frames per second and has lots of weird like <laughs> Unity stutters and uh, issues along the way. It's, you know, it it... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it, it runs. It's not a game, Alex. It's not. <laughs> it's not I would argue, <laughs> the lack of collision detection is especially enjoyable uh, <laughs> because you can just walk out of the arena and float through the air. But what I love about it is that so they spawn enemies with the same animation, and they all kind of like clump together. But when you move far away from the center point, they accelerate the fo- like the foes spawn in the arena, and then to get them to Kratos quickly, they sort of accelerate them right up to the player. So you'll start seeing enemies moving faster and faster up into the point that they join the pack. So hot tip for everyone: if you're playing this game, wait till all the enemies are in one giant clump of dude, and then just swing your axe a couple times, and you'll immediately get a high score amazing amazing scenes um so yeah obviously i mean there's a lot of um of discussion at the moment about xbox series s how does that hold up it's the same (laughs) (laughs) okay what about uh what about xbox one well um i first of all played on xbox one x um just to leverage the full power of the six teraflop gpu and um 60 frames per second but uh basically whenever there seems to be some kind of <laughs> attempt 
at figuring out collision detection, you get these massive jarring frame rate drops. And uh, but yeah, there it is. I mean, remarkable. Stuff. I mean, we tried Again. to play it on PlayStation, couldn't do it. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know it doesn't work. So I mean, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I mean, we didn't fight on Hololens, but uh, I would actually like to see that. Imagine living in I'm... that arena. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so that was Xbox One X, and uh, I'm afraid to say Xbox One, um, it targets 60 frames per second. You get the same lurching collision uh, drops, which seem to be worse, but um, it can't hold 60 frames per second. It, it's so <laughs> it's actually almost nine years later. You know, we go from Rise, Son of Rome at the launch of Xbox One <laughs> to this. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Rise, Son of uh, whatever, is the superior game. <laughs> Rise, Son of Rome from Crytek, no less. Which, yeah. by the way, it's still a gorgeous game. And if you haven't played that oh, in a while, I looking. do yeah. recommend busting it out. And if you play it on a more modern Xbox, it also at least solves the frame rate dips that occurred on that original launch unit. So, yeah, mm -hmm. still, but still a good game. But uh, unfortunately, for some reason, it's 31 FPS, right? Isn't it? Oh, I know. It has that stupid 31 FPS issue. Yeah. Oh, so, so man. that's a shame. But the game is still gorgeous. So, game's great. VR is a great PC type. version. Yeah. It does. <laughs> so yeah, uh, War Gods, Zeus of Child, a remarkable name. But it's in the game, they seem to be calling it God of Warning. But yes, that certainly livened up our week. And um, wow, what can I say? Yeah, we just wasted, uh, was... what, like, I don't know, 15 minutes talking about this? Sorry. Wasted? We apologize, Digital Foundry viewer. <laughs> this It won't happen again until it does. I don't know. Until there's a sequel. Until the sequel. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, look, let's move on. Second news story, and this one is actually a news story of actual worth, and um, it is um, from the a story from The Verge. Um, they're talking about the fact that the new GDK, that's the environment uh, development environment for the Xbox and PC, um, has now been um, tweaked to allow developers to access more memory on Xbox Series S. And they're talking about uh, uh, hundreds of megabytes. Um, which in itself is a bit of a bizarre comment to make. Um, but I'm going to go to you on this one, Alex. What do you reckon about this? I mean, Series S, obviously, we've had some issues with it. Uh, developers have issues with it. I'm guessing that any extra memory is a good thing, but to what extent would this potentially make a difference? Well, I, I think in a lot of cases when we've seen uh, developers putting out next-gen versions, like recently John looked at Bright Memory Infinite, and that game, uh, along with missing the 120 FPS mode, it was also missing the ray tracing mode. And the ray tracing mode on Xbox Series X was uh, actually kind of impressive. I mean, it wasn't like the PC version, but it was still like targeting 4K, 60 FPS, and ha and it was managing uh, ray tracing, ray trace reflections while doing that. And that shows that there was enough GPU headroom there where I think that could have scaled down to a GPU of one-third to one-fourth the power yep. of the Xbox Series X at a lower resolution. But I imagine that memory constraints were a thing that came up there, which is probably why uh, the Series S did not get it. And it's also why we've seen it uh, not occurring in other games like well, Doom, Guardian, Doom Eternal. Guardians of the Galaxy. Doom Eternal uh, was Guardians of the Galaxy also, right? Uh, uh, not that I'm mistaken yeah. there. I, I, I think I, so, I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to uh, make a mistake there. But either way, that those are like... And then we've also heard from developers that that is a, actually a core issue, like id tech, you know, 
but they definitely said something about that on Twitter before. Axel Knighting. Um, and I think this is what this, the, this extra memory, even just a few hundred megabytes, that's enough. Like usually like BVH on top of the, with the world scene there. If it's like 200 to 250 megabytes, I actually think this could mean that we see more games on Series S now actually having ray tracing when Xbox Series X has it too. Of course, at a lower resolution, um, much lower resolution sometimes, uh, but definitely there. And But, you know, at the same time, I don't, I, we don't actually have a lot of uh, transparency on what it is because it just says a couple hundred, it says just hundreds of megabytes. Hundreds, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it could I don't, be 200 megabytes. Yeah. That's true. It, you know, <laughs> it, it's really hard to say what that means, but I think any extra memory is a good thing here. Um, the, I'm also curious if it gives enough then for, uh, we talked about it before on the channel, but there are times when like the Xbox One X version we get the feeling that it could run on Series uh, Series S. I, I don't know if it helps back compat at all, if this applies at all to back uh, compat is what I'm wondering. I doubt that. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I think don't that know, frees up but... enough memory. Because mm -hmm. that was the, the main constraint, right? Was the, the memory requirements for Xbox One X stuff. Not, I mean, like you said, Alex, when we speak with developers, you know, not naming any names here, but it's it's at least like a dozen different developers have commented on this between us all that, you know, the main issue with series S and ray tracing is memory, not the actual GPU. Right. So, uh, this is exactly the kind of change. If it's enough memory that could lead to more ray tracing on series S, which would be awesome to see. So, yeah, it would be great. Yeah. I'm going to sound a note of caution here because, um, if you look at a developer that's targeting a, current gen system now looking at playstation 5 xbox series x uh, we're talking about i think well certainly at launch it was 12.5 gigs of available memory on playstation 5 and i think 13.5 on series x and um xbox series s is eight gigabytes so even if you're adding in like you know let's say 200 300 400 500 megabytes of extra memory that's still a yawning chasm compared to the other target systems out there um, which is problematic, right? So I think this is all obviously all going to be quite helpful. The extent to which it can actually present a game-changing um, uh, scenario is, I'd say, up for debate. Um, but it will certainly help. I feel like the the one area where we might really see a difference, and we might not have known we'd see a difference at this point, but imagine you have a high-end first-party game uh, targeting Xbox Series X, right? That's using ray tracing features. And there's 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 definitely those in development, including an announced one with Forza Motorsport, right? Uh, yeah. I cannot imagine them wanting to ship something like that without at least some ray tracing feature parity somewhat to Xbox Series X on the Series S, right? Uh, and I suspect perhaps internally the developers working on this have probably been asking them to free up as much as they can to make this more realistic for them right mm -hmm. i mean forza itself i'm actually really curious to see have they announced that either way whether it's going to have that on series s because what they're promising with forza motorsport is still probably the most ambitious uh, attempt at ray tracing on consoles right now that we know of right like both rtgi and ray trace reflections and maybe something else was it uh, yeah, maybe something. We haven't. Else, yeah. I think the RTGI might be replays only. But still, yeah. it, it, even, but even even that on Series S is pretty big. Yeah, number, it's right? not. Even if it's replay only, that doesn't. You know, it's still 
like really impressive uh and unusual like we haven't seen many if any games that use uh multiple ray tracing effects simultaneously on console have we seen it's, any it's just the matrix awakens it's just point. the matrix awakens demo yeah i think you're right yeah that's uh, yeah. that's just that's just wild <laughs> i think it's you know basically a cumulative increase i think it's not going to um well obviously there's still the the case that memory bandwidth on the series s is is quite low as well uh, relative to to the other consoles so it's the extent to which it can actually be a sort of game changing difference if it makes life easier for developers which i think is basically the the spin that's being given here um is you know that that's can only be a good thing but you know when they won't tell you exactly how many additional megabytes of memory uh, you know beyond hundreds it kind of suggests it's you know it's it's not anywhere near one gigabyte for example which you wouldn't expect really but you know the extent to which i it can actually make a difference i don't know just a good thing generally i think just to, to make life easier because we know from our discussions with developers john that um they are searching for every little last bit of memory on the series s so yeah i think this will definitely uh, definitely be helpful there. I got to say more and more, I do appreciate and kind of enjoy the series S. It kind of keeps the thrill of comparisons that is ultimately kind of disappearing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. yeah, the advantages between the upper end machines, you know, they kind of trade blows, but they're very similar. Uh, and, but series S is, is very different hardware and it's fun seeing how, developers targeted that's why i really enjoyed bright memory because you have the two top end boxes with xbox series x taking the lead there but then series s and then switch were like taking up the rear and like just very different machines and it was fun to see how they were able to adapt the game over to it uh mm. and so I, I i appreciate that we have these lower spec machines still around just for comparison purposes just i think it's interesting uh, although, you know, working on that stuff, especially trying to port these games to Switch, probably not that fun for the developers themselves, <laughs> but it is interesting. <laughs> it's. A, um, I always find it's a little bit of a shame, though, that it is just usually resolution differences or small differences in frame rate, because, you know, like, on a technical level, if you had something like a 2060 Super versus a 2070 Super or something like that, you would, uh, instead of just... Uh, running a slightly arbitrarily higher resolution, which I would never, uh, I would never say in my optimized settings videos, run it at like 80% higher resolution. So worth it. I would never say that. I would say, oh, uh, turn on like, uh, like uh, ray trace contact shadows or something like that, or uh, turn up uh, the RT uh, like a notch or something like that. And that is something that almost never happens. We've only seen, I think, in like Hitman Three. That that's the only game I can think of that actually. Uh, said like, oh, Xbox Series X has a bit more oomph, and let's turn up something that isn't just resolution. Uh, I, I wish more developers did do that, because that's like more interesting for us, and I think it's also a better usage of uh, greater hardware resources. I mean, we already have the ray tracing stuff, right? But other settings, I assume you're talking about. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just like you know, sometimes <laughs> even like on a 2060S versus 2070 Super, that there's enough headroom to turn on one more effect. Versus versus just saying like oh this is 1800p and this is native like no one no one cares about that yeah some people yeah. do it's an interesting point it's certainly <laughs> mm -hmm. an, it's an interesting point that you know basically differences in GPU performance just seem to vanish into DRS 
really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, you know, uh, an additional whatever 10, 15% of resolution doesn't really make any impact to the to the presentation. But, but at the same time, I think, you know, for many game makers, they would like to have their games go out there with a, a kind of unified vision, if you like. Um, oh, yeah. the, I, I think the, the way it is um, now is certainly way different to it what to the way things were with PS4 Pro and Xbox One X, where they were essentially two very different classes of machine. Which right? it was also really different between uh, Xbox 360 and PS3, which yes, that's yeah, right. my favorite era for that, because it's just wild. <laughs> Those differences are so vast. <laughs> so, <laughs> often. You know, in terms of Series, uh, Series S, you know, I contend that it's it's not the machine for the digital foundry uh, enthusiast but it's a great machine i think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know as consoles go it's a lovely little box seems to have found an audience the price point is good um, you could actually you know in in the uh the hell of availability uh crisis last year you could actually buy one very easily that's true it, there was never really a price premium attached to it the way there was with ps5 and series x so you know it, it's filled it, it you know it certainly filled requirements for a good number of gamers um I am still wondering, though. I mean, we've seen deficiencies in Series S titles, um, and the, and we're still in cross-gen, right? That's oh, the yeah. thing. Once we move into the proper new era of gaming, I'm just wondering yeah. how it's going to hold up. But certainly stuff like extra memory is going to help. Uh, but let's move on to the next news topic. So this one's been gathering pace for quite some time, but the leaks are just turning into a torrent flood <laughs> now. Um, it's seems to be very likely that we're on the cusp of an announcement for the RTX 4090, the latest uh, Ada Lovelace generation of GPUs uh, from NVIDIA. And, well, the leaks are suggesting anything from, I think I've seen um, plus 85% to plus 100% of performance over an RTX uh, 3090, which is just like a tremendously powerful GPU even now. And um, there's starting to be some rumors emerging from a particular leaker, uh, Copite 7 Kibi. Mm-hmm. Reliable. <laughs> uh, he, seems to, he seems to be a big fan of Formula One and uh, GPUs, essentially. <laughs> but his leaks have a uncanny sort of um, ring of truth about them once we actually get to see final specs. Um, he's talking about potentially a 4080 being twice as powerful as a 3080, which would be remarkable and um the rtx 4070 potentially delivering rtx 39 ti performance alex what do you make of this well i've said it before probably five to six times in df direct weekly but my my appreciation for a good gpu generation after consoles launch is that the gpus that launch after the consoles do need to be at least have a in the mid-range GPU that is 2x as powerful as uh, the consoles are. That's happened in the past. 8800 GT like wipes the floor with the consoles. I would say the nine, uh, the GTX 970 also was uh, very similar to that. Or you know, you have like your you know 7970 was also pretty good and things. Uh, and here this time around, uh, the consoles launched with I would say better GPUs and better CPUs than they have in the past, at least the last gen. And so, and there's been so many things, you know, issues going on with the supply and the fact that, you know, shrinking the the process down is not as easy as it used to be. But in that case, if the RTX 4070, which is the new 
mid-range in some really bizarro world where it's cost we need 500. to discuss the, the definition of mid-range <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Carry, well, I mean, but yeah carry on <laughs> carry on carry on it would at least it would start it would actually hit that threshold because right now i've measured in a lot of titles before um where if you have like an rtx 3090 which i do have uh and you just do straight raster compute performance it's usually double ps5 uh and a little bit more depends um and then with the, um, uh, if you have ray tracing performance, it's uh, a lot, it's a lot better. It's like three times, if not more. Uh, and then so, if you add DLSS. And then you add a DLSS and it's <laughs> it just multiplying, multiplying, and it's just like really great. Um, so that would hit that arbitrary thing that I, that I love. And the reason why that's great is because it makes it so that when you get console ports, um, you can kind of just like turn the settings up and get 60 FPS, usually. That's what the GDX 970 was really great for. That's also what was really great about the 8800 GT. You just don't have to fiddle as much as a PC user when you have that class of power over the consoles. Uh, so that's why I like it. But the question is, let's talk about the mid-range. Like, what is mid-range anymore, Rich? Like, really? Well, that is an interesting question, right? Because the 3070 was a $500 card. Whatever um, that's about. And that was the MSRP, and that was for the Founders Edition. So once... You know, you get those uh, custom coolers added, uh, then that sort of takes up the price even further. So your GPU is the same cost as your uh, as your high end console, right? Um, more expensive than that. So, um, so what we actually saw, I mean, if there wasn't a GPU shortage, was that the 3060 Ti was like uh, notionally a four hundred dollar card, and uh, had um, uh, obviously it had better RT than a console. It had um, uh, raster performance, which was kind of on par with uh, uh, the consoles at their absolute best. So that was, I think that was kind of like more what you would call a, a mid-range. But, you know, even so, even the 3060 was like a $330 card. So prices are on the march upwards. Um, in terms of how um, NVIDIA are achieving this, potentially achieving this 2x performance increase, um, the new process is obviously going to be a key part of that. The new architecture, similarly, but there seems to be also this trend of blasting this silicon with a lot of power, a lot of power, um, which is actually potentially problematic in an era where um, electricity is now like three times the cost of what it was last year in the UK. It's, I don't know what it's like in Germany, but it's... Oh, it's uh, also more expensive here. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Very high. So, you know, the, the cost of gaming in the PC space seems to be uh, on a relentless march upwards, which I think is a bit concerning. I, I guess the other thing at the same time is that the the sort of what PC, what PC users want from their games is quite different from consoles. Consoles seem to be targeting 4K 60. Uh, PCs seems to be more 1440p with higher uh, refresh rates at these uh, these days. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see the comparison points right. there. Mid-range, yeah. by the way, is it's an interesting thing because I feel like it's one of those concepts that can differ depending on what you're describing. Like, if you look at, say, the lineup of NVIDIA graphics cards available, right, the, the 70 series would kind of fall right in the middle of their available cards. Hence, could be described as mid-range, right? But if you look at the grand scheme of what everybody's using in the PC space, then technically it's more towards the high end, right? So, uh, and also if you're if you're looking at like the dollar amount, the cost of these cards, then I definitely wouldn't consider it mid-range. 
Well, uh, well it, it, it almost is, or even less than mid-range, because the 3090 Ti launched at what price, Rich? What was it? It was so stupid. What was the 3090 Ti? Ti was $2,000 in the Yeah, in, like, in it's, the it's actually, it's less than the middle. It's just, <laughs> I feel like PC gaming has done this just giant U-shaped thing. Like, in the 90s, PCs were super expensive, right? And I'd say around oh, yeah. 2007, 2008 era, with the, you know... The, Q66, yeah, E66. The, you know. That era was really good. The 8800 GT, you could get so much power for such a low price, but it feels like now prices on PC stuff has just rocketed upward. And now if you really want a high-end PC, you're paying a lot of money and you're still... You can't, you can't fight your way out of things like the stutter struggle, which is why it's time for the Aegea Physics style card to return, but a card that just compiles shaders all day long. And it just that's just what it does. It's like got the super fast storage on there. It holds it all for you. Just like the shader card. And it just the the Aegea stutter uh, machine or something. Exactly. You just, you just put this in and it removes all your stutter woes. It detects when games are installed and starts compiling stuff all the time. And it only uses itself, no other resources in your PC. And it just it just goes. <laughs> well, we've got an interesting question. I've, I've I've whisked it forward from the supporter Q and A section from uh, Stefan von der Krohn. With the new generation of graphics cards on the horizon, how will you tackle their allegedly high power consumption? Will you take a look at performance per watt? With the rise of Steam Deck, with low powered devices in general, will low powered devices in general have more room in your coverage in the future, Alex? I think we need to start looking at DLSS and FSR 2.0 as energy savers, actually, uh, yeah. because that's what they end up doing, especially DLSS. It's crazy. Like, there was, there, there was numbers around FSR 2.0's launch about how energy efficient it is comparison, in comparison to native rendering, and that was really interesting. Uh, I, think that's what, I think that's what we need to look at, uh, too. Uh, but just, like... I don't, I don't know if I want to just break out like the wattage meter, hook it up to the wall, and start testing games, uh, uh, and, and just say like this is good and this is bad, or like these are the settings you should target if you want better energy usage. It kind of changes what DF does at that point. Uh, for your what, reviews, I think so. I think for graphics cards reviews, you can yeah, absolutely talk about because yeah, uh, yeah. you know Nvidia have got PCAT, which essentially plugs into the uh, PCIe slot and the power slots, and you can actually measure the the amount of energy that they're consuming. And um, but you know what I basically found in that is if the graphics card is advertised as having a two hundred and fifty watt TDP it draws 250 watts when running unlocked because that's the power limit. So it wasn't actually a particularly interesting um, uh, statistic because it's, you know, it's on the box. Now, what you can do, obviously, is compare um, the power consumption versus the performance and compare it to other graphics cards. Um, but then you move into another potentially uh, uh, difficult scenario which is that, you know, let's take a classic example, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, it's notoriously, run, notoriously, it runs better on AMD than it does on NVIDIA, which means that your performance per watt is, is higher, not through the hardware limitation, but through the way the game is coded. <laughs> yes. So I don't really know how you really, I mean, eventually you're just going to end up with another number, which is, you know, it's on average 10% more efficient than its competitor 
which I suppose is um, uh, is important information. But you know, is it actually going to affect your purchasing deci decision? Doubtful. That is the question. I mm. Okay, I think that's enough on that for now. Uh, let's move on to the next uh, next topic. So, Alex, this week. Final Fantasy, Stranger in Paradise, Stranger of Paradise, rather, Final Fantasy Origin. Uh, we discovered that it had a DLSS upgrade. And, um, well, it's kind of <laughs> a good thing for that game, bearing in mind its uh, distressing approach to anti-aliasing. Uh, you took a look at it. How is it any good? Okay. What do you reckon? <laughs> okay, so when Oliver looked at this game, this was Oliver's work, I believe. Uh, it didn't seem to have any anti-aliasing on console, <laughs> like, but nope. Uh, good tidings on PC. There has been an update. At least I don't know about the consoles that there's an anti-aliasing option now on PC. They, and they, they did on. update it on console. It is improved. Okay, good. But not with, not that's, DLSS, obviously. <laughs> no, no, no. So there is an anti-aliasing option on PC. Uh, if you just like sit there. And it looks, it almost looks like TAA when you sit still. But then when you move the camera, it's uh, Extreme Shimmer City, which is interesting. That usually you expect TAA, modern TAAs, uh, to kind of blur when the camera moves. So that's what you have. And I actually don't think it's very good. <laughs> so it's not very good. But DLSS in this game, as we've seen also in, uh, this is the same engine, right, as Neo 2. If I recall, right? Yeah. Am I not mistaken? Allegedly, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it has extremely similar properties to as what we see there. Uh, so it does provide better anti-aliasing than whatever the default is doing. Uh, there are uh, minor inconsistencies due to the way the engine functions. Uh, those are all the things I covered in my Neo 2 video. Uh, but this game doesn't have nearly as much vegetation uh, from what I've seen as Neo 2. Well, not that so early it actually. Area. Uh, not the early, yeah, so I've only been in the early era. I'm not going to play this game for an eternity yet, <laughs> uh, to be completely honest with you. But the things I've seen is it paints a very nice picture for DLSS in comparison to the uh, default anti-aliasing option, which I think is just really weird. I don't know, this this engine uh, is just so heavy on specular everything. Everything looks just like really shiny that whatever their default anti-aliasing does is not good enough for that. 2009, <laughs> We're back in 2009. Uh, so uh, really cool that they added it in. Strange that, once again, like Neo 2, it's after the game launches, which takes away a bit of the hype. Like, you can generate hype when a game is launching by including things like FSR 2.0 and DLSS or ray tracing and adding these things after the fact. Um, I don't know how many people actually return to the game to play it or how many news. We're probably one of the few people that are actually covering this uh, at all in any sense of the word. So... I highly recommend having your game technically complete at launch. That is my uh, DF recommendation from Alex. Another thing I looked at uh, that Rich did not announce, but I'm just going to shove in here, <laughs> is uh, uh, two weeks ago when I was sitting, it was two weeks ago, was sitting here with um, uh, Adam and Sam uh, talking about uh, hey, uh, insider program stuff on PC. It was a bunch of Bethesda games. Uh, that they are bringing out, and they added Return to Castle Wolfenstein from Raven Software, uh, a really awesome id Tech 3 game that saw release on consoles back then and PC as well, uh, but hasn't really been updated in a long time. And here I checked that out to find out what it was, if it's at all different. And downloading it, downloads really quickly, downloads through the store, I found out that it is 
basically, once again, kind of like Quake 4, the patched Steam version, almost. Uh, I believe it packages as a GDK, uh, though, uh, and has, but it has an EXE. Um, and so when you load it up, uh, you're just confronted with all the legacy baggage of whatever that means of a not updated game from this time period. It doesn't, by usual default, support things like 16 by 9 doesn't support oh, yeah. the, arbit- the arbitrary resolutions. It like just presents like up to 1600 by 1200 probably, I think is the max res. It doesn't even have anisotropic filtering. And curiously, the in-game option for VSync also doesn't work. So it's going up to that 90, 91 FPS that Tech 3 games go up to, or Call of Duty games have gone up to in the past. Um, so you have that issue, and it just kind of looks a little bit awkward on a modern set on a modern 16 by 9 screen and doesn't run right because you're seeing 90 FPS without VSync in a 60 hertz container. Uh, that would look fine, obviously, if you're playing on a on a 120 hertz, 144 hertz G-Sync compatible or FreeSync compatible display. But, so this is where I want to talk about how the new games are being shipped. Real, real quick, Alex, I just, yeah. I'm being pedantic, but you're talking about the Grey Matter game, right? You said Raven, and Raven... Did the, oh, well, yeah. did the 2009 yeah. game, I believe. Yeah, that's true. This is Gray Matter. Sorry, my mistake. So, this sorry, is it's just, Fair yeah, it just stuck yeah, in my yeah. brain. Yeah. I was like, what? wait, what? No, no, no. Okay. This is uh, this is Gray Matter. Both uh, good, though. Raven. Both good. Just different. Yeah, very different, but good. Uh, so Gray Matter, yeah. And uh, the reason why I want to talk about this is because the way they are packaging games up now is that it used to be in a hidden folder in like app data. I, I don't know where it was. It was like you couldn't find it if you didn't have hidden folders enabled. Uh, and you couldn't really edit anything in there. It required a stupid permission chain to actually touch the files. And then you really couldn't touch them. Um, really bad idea. Terrible idea, Microsoft. Can't believe they actually thought that was fine. But now with their new PC initiative, new Xbox app, um, they're trying to put it into an Xbox game folder, which I think you can control the actual directory from where it actually is placed, but it defaults to your C. And there, you can actually see the game in there in the folder. And I'm going to, there's stuff on screen you can probably see right here. So you would think with this new initiative that it is like just a normal folder. And I thought that too, but I really wanted to show this game (laughs) off on the channel. (laughs) <laughs> like when you're seeing it right here with vsync on because i don't want to just show the game without vsync and i thought like normally with a game when i want to turn on vsync i just go to the nvidia control panel i add the profile for the game from the recent list or the edit manual list and i just turn on vsync for that game i can't do that with the default way this installs i have no idea what they're doing but whatever permission setup is i've never seen it uh, NVIDIA control panel do this in my life where I add the game, I add, try and add the EXE, and it says I don't have permission to do this. Like it says, you don't have administrator rights to do this. This is a really bad stance. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they're doing with the folder. I tried to, un, uh, to, to make it um, not just readable, but uh, editable, and it wouldn't let me do that as well. You can technically, though, drag and drop things into the folder, I found out. Uh, so I did add in a mod that allows for 16 by 9 support and all these other good things, which you're seeing right here on screen right now. But I think the precedent that I want to talk about here is that they say they're doing more to make this more like a traditional way PC games are set up, yet it has a lot of non-traditional behavior. You shouldn't ever have to 
go through hoops to get permission for a folder to turn on vsync for a game. This is absurd. Uh, every single, as, I, as far as I see it, every single thing that is installed on your PC, should, you should have default permissions to touch it, no matter what. There should never be some extra process to touch a folder and edit it. So um, Microsoft, please, for the love of whatever, change this because the way it currently works right now is better than it was before, but it still is not perfect. So Alex, what's the reason to use like this build versus like say, an older build of the game like that, that's the question i've got for you why are we looking at a pc inside a build of a game that's like decades <sighs> old yeah oh so i i honestly don't know there's no reason to use port? this is it essentially a port to the windows store because it's um, a port I, to the windows store with all the baggage of that so like because i'm aware that there are third-party developers out there who make a fair bit of money by converting games from steam to run on the windows store yeah, isn't that QLock's thing? Uh, I, you know, like they do stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't, so I'm assuming I don't this why. is one such conversion, and for whatever reason, they they feel the need to do a beta pass on it. <laughs> yeah, and it, I don't know who this is for, honestly. Uh, it's maybe for Game Pass PC to enrich that in some way. Um, oh, because yeah. right now, as it stands, there's no reason to use these at all. They, I mean, they are technically easy to set up a little bit, excluding the fact that you have to go through the store, which once again, if the store works, it's fine. Well, it sounds like the, I've had it so where the, the store in-game options so. don't even work properly necessarily. Stuff like yeah, VSync so is broken. Like that, that, that's just, So that's the thing is, I feel like if you're going to be retouching these games and re-releasing them somewhere, you should at least be doing the legwork to make sure that they have like basic yes. display support. That, um, so that, That's what's that's, lacking. I mean, this is what GOG tries to do with their DOS stuff, right? They package mm -hmm. it they should be packaging this up into some sort of format where you can boot it and have access to things like modern resolutions, modern display support without having to jump through hoops. If they could do that, then I could actually see a real value here. But as it is, it sounds like it's just the old game, but with additional hoops to jump through, some of which maybe you can't even work around. So it's like, what's the point? And the thing is, like, these ex games exist, most of these id tech games exist with source ports of some capacity or mods in some capacity. Uh, if they somehow found a way to do the, the just the minimal groundwork that it would require to, to add something like that in, then I would say these are really interesting releases. But so far, these are just meh and whatever, and there's better places to play these games. So I've got two points to make, first of all, Alex. Uh, number one, congratulations on downloading something on the Windows Store. Ooh. I did it uh, on a different PC. I still can't download on the other PC. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I know. And secondly, <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, uh, Captain America um, and the oh, Winter yes. Soldier, where essentially uh, Nick Fury wants to save S.H.I.E.L.D. at the end, and uh, Cap says, no, it, let's just burn the whole thing to the ground. <laughs> and that, that's what's got to happen to the Windows Store. Uh, if it requires the, the intervention of Steve Rogers or any other superhero, I'm all for it. But Please it's do. got to happen. The Windows Store has got to be <laughs> burnt down and rebuilt from the ground up, because it's it's you know. And bearing in mind it's uh it's it plays host to Game Pass, and the fact that you know I can't seemingly download games on it, this is just unacceptable. And all of this stuff that you're talking about about you know bizarre permissions restrictions on these games, which which, but you know, you're a big PC gamer, and by your own admission, you've never seen it happen in, in before. It's, it's, it, you know, something is horribly wrong here, and it's, you know, fundamentally, it's got to stop. So, you know, I can't really add anything more to that.
I, just the one thing I think, just talking about the, we call it the Widow Stores, but I think it's called the Microsoft Store these days. Like, I don't know, for probably for 10 years, for all I know. Um, but uh, the one thing that I want to praise Steam really quickly versus every other thing out there is that when you click on a game on Steam to download it, uh, it immediately starts showing reactions in terms of the way the UI works. Yes. And also it shows like a percentage. And this is how good stores and good UI interfaces, you want to see that something's going on. But for things like uh, the Microsoft Store and a lot of other ones, is when you click on something, there's like a waiting period of like a couple, it could be seconds, and you're not sure what's happening in this time, and you may click multiple times. This is really bad UI, and I have no idea what they're doing that causes that. Um, so like just Microsoft engineers, like look at other store interfaces and what makes a good interface before saying you're actually reapproaching the Xbox on this, PC initiative. This also like, happens this is on, really important. on certain consoles as well and other other devices in general. It's a very modern thing where I think they prioritize playing back the animation of like, you know, hitting buttons and opening windows over what's actually happening in the background. So you'll press a button, you see the animation of the button being pressed, but then whatever's happening in the background uh, there's no communication as to what's going on there, right? So nothing happens to the user. And it's this weird conflict between trying to have like a smooth looking interface and an interface that's actually responsive. Um, and that, that is a relatively new issue that was not present in older older PCs. It wasn't present in older devices even, I'd say. Uh, but, you know, it's it sucks. It really, really... It's so frustrating to press a button and then not sure if it actually worked. It's like your local like interface is behaving like a web page. And that sucks. Nobody wants that. Yeah, like it should all be like localized and instantaneous and not having to constantly ping servers far away to figure out whether something needs to be installed locally. Um, that should happen at a later part of the chain, I feel. I mean, whatever. The, you and I both use a lot of retro PC hardware, and I, I find that on a good old-style Pentium 3 or something, like Windows 98 feels so much more responsive in many ways than modern OSs. Uh, it's just when you click stuff, stuff happens. You know it's happening immediately, and if you have to wait, you instantly see like a hard drive light, and it just it just feels like, okay, something now is happening, and you're just waiting it's none of that mystifying, like, just, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to wait. Or there's weird error messages that are just like, something went wrong, you know? Yeah, oh, my gosh. And it's a, the Windows Store is that. so good at that. Like, <laughs> error 93, it's like, I, I just want to install the thing. And it says, we're not sure why this couldn't install. <laughs> That's the error. It's like, oh, wow, really helpful. Well, I was yeah. talking before about War God's use of child <laughs> and uh, the, um, the fact that uh, we had to deactivate some old uh consoles to actually uh, pcs to actually get it to work so um, it's you know another example of an arbitrary limitation that's put in store uh put in place on the windows store that shouldn't really be there um and you know it just seems to be carrying a whole lot of legacy baggage i mean i, I don't know why microsoft don't just uh work with valve to introduce um uh, essentially game pass functionality into the steam client that would solve everything would, right? you think gabe would even want to go for that i think gabe has said he wants it okay at well, one point so when then. interviewed I, I think so i think he said he would be willing i mean steam in is in fact still it's the only digital the only digital marketplace that i actually like using yeah, that says a it's lot it's very it's good i mean it's like, good yeah 
it's like really useful. I mean, I, I still wish more games on Steam had like the GOG functionality where it, like you could download an EXE if you wanted. I oh, really yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. That, that's uh, but then, you know, it's, some games technically allow you to do it. They just don't tell you out loud. Um, but you know, that's one thing that's missing from Steam. But please, developers, if you're if you're doing anything, like look at why people use Steam versus its market share. Like just yep, look at yep. the functionality of it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to the final news story. Um, Analog Pocket, this remarkable um, handheld machine for retro emulation. Um, there's been a long-awaited jailbreak. It's finally available. The door is open for open source cores to, to run on it. And John is going to tell us all about this. Well, uh, it's you... quote-unquote jailbreak. And let me explain. So last week they, <laughs> they released a new firmware update finally that added uh, things like the memories features. It added all like the library stuff. Like it, it really fleshed out. It's the final part of the pocket that was absent. And it's good. Uh, in addition to that, they shared more details on their developer program and released their very first core uh, along with this. Uh, the idea here, though, the developer program doesn't require any sort of like buy-in. You're not, you don't have to license anything. They don't own anything. You're just free to essentially port FPGA cores over to the pocket and run them there, which I think is super cool. And along with this, some of the first cores that arrived are actually just cores to play uh, already existing game cores, I guess, that the pocket supports. So like Game Boy, Game Boy Advance and the like, you can actually put these on your SD card and now you can load ROMs if you want. Not, I actually like using the original carts, but this is something a lot of people wanted. You can actually just load ROMs now from the pocket, which is cool. But along with that, uh, we also saw the another core release. Um, the Neo Geo core was ported over to the pocket. It's still an early, uh, it's, it's like in an early condition, so it's not perfect, but you can already see stuff like Metal Slug running nicely on the analog pocket, which is just awesome. And it shows a lot of potential for what can be done in the future. Now, obviously, the thing to keep in mind is that the Pocket's a portable device. Its FPGA space on the chip is not as vast as, like, the Mister, for instance, which is not a portable device. Probably will never be a portable device. They're different things, and they can coexist, I think, perfectly fine. Uh, so I wouldn't expect, like, the really complex stuff. Like, I don't think you'll see necessarily, like, a PlayStation Core on the, on the analog Pocket or anything. I mean miracles that could happen but i don't expect to see that but it does seem like if developers are interested they could bring many different types of cores and platforms and maybe even like you know arcade boards over to the pocket to allow you to play it there the screen itself one of the big benefits of it and this is something that it that it does better than any screen mod out there for original hardware and better than most emulator filters is just it simulates like a pixel structure thanks to its it has the really nice filters combined with this ultra ultra high res panel in a tiny little form factor with a crazy pixel density so you get you actually can kind of simulate the look of the individual like lcd pixels from like lower end you know older devices but that also means you could do like a cool looking like mini crt filter any any sort of thing to make these games look great uh in that small form factor so I, I still love the pocket. It's a great way to, to play these games. Um, I, I have been using it. It's sort of replaced my... It's one of the few instances where I don't really use the original Game Boy hardware, even with screen mods, over the pocket anymore because uh, it's the best-looking 
screen filters I've ever seen for this stuff, and the games play really well. So expanding this out is is nice. So I'm happy to see it. Good stuff. Okay, um, that's enough for news this week. Uh, we're going to quickly talk about uh, some plans for DF Retro, right, John? Because there's not one, but two episodes in production yes. as we speak. That's right. So, first of all, I have started uh, the next episode of DF Retro, which is the entire Klonoa series. It's a series that's near and dear to my heart, and I wanted to throw some support behind it and really focus in on and show all the games. So, you know, the two main console games, as well as the spin-offs, like the volleyball game, will have all the portable games in there, including uh, the RPG, if you've not played that, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then I won't say what the next one is, but the other, the next episode is already in development. And that's thanks, I guess, in part to sort of a, a partnership that I've formed now. I guess we can say who's helping on the episodes rich so sure, go ahead. so yeah so i'm going to be to help accelerate df retro production and make it even better i've been working a lot with mark and Corey from uh, my life in gaming so we're producing some of these episodes together and it's it's going very very well so far and i'm enjoying that sort of production process uh it definitely helps speed things up because the the ps3 1080p video it was you know i was like man i need more assistance on this stuff uh and yeah so this is this Makes is sense. This... good good three weeks of work there really wasn't it? yeah it was yeah. it was a lot and that was even with you capturing some of the games uh <laughs> some of the ones i did not have access to so it was it was a lot so having people to, to work with on this i'm really excited to see where it goes and uh so far the clino episode is already first four minutes are done but there's a lot more to go so it should be pretty good. And hopefully I would like to finish that uh, within a week or so. Mm, so we'll see mm, what, we'll see where we're at, but that's the plan. Okay, so it's the final part of the show. It is supporter Q&A. This is where backers of the DF supporter program uh, weekly give us their questions for inclusion on the show. We get so many, we just can't do them all. Um, usually around 50, but we've paired it down to some questions which uh, we'd like to cover. And the first one is from Eric Benoit, and it's addressed to John. I'm assuming John will answer this question, and he is correct. Uh, but what do you think of Mike Chi's firmware update for the RetroTink 5X? I've been using the HDR implementation for the PS3. What consoles do you think benefit the most from this amazing feature? So first of all, for those that don't know, the RetroTink 5X is this amazing retro upscaler, right? That's right. But it's much more than an upscaler. Yeah, it's... Uh... So, as you say, the, the whole point of this device is to take video signals and convert them to something that looks good on a modern display, right? So it's right now it's just focused on analog video input. So component video, RGB SCART, you know, S-video, composite video, all that kind of stuff. It is designed for playing your old consoles in a way that looks pleasing. We've had devices like this for ages. There's the OSSC, FrameMeister, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but Mike became known for the RetroTink series, which were these little tiny devices that just sort of line doubled. But this thing is the full-blown upscaling, like, uh, god in a box, if you will. Because the dude, Mike, is just this this madman of engineering who just can't stop adding crazy features to it. And he's, by the way, working on the next generation product right now, which is the RetroTink 4K. 
uh, but he's been adding so much. There is actually 4K24 support in this thing. Not that you really want to use it for games, but uh, he's pushing the limits of what FPGA can do, I think, just like coding and all this crazy stuff into it. And just last week, he released a new firmware update for it that added support for HDR. And you might be wondering, why the heck would you want HDR on a retro device like this? And the answer is that, well, black frame insertion. So I've talked about this many times. You know, I'm sure people are like, John, you just, just quit talking about it. But it's there to fix issues with modern displays, right? You're strobing the screen. It cleans up motion persistence issues. It results in much smoother looking images. That's more in line with the CRT. But of course, by strobing the screen, sort of blanking it out every frame, uh, that results in a darker overall image, uh, which, you know, that's obviously a down, a step down. By injecting or triggering the HDR flag, however, he's essentially telling the TV to go into HDR mode, uh, and it's basically producing a brighter image, even though the actual content is not really HDR or even 10-bit, it's just 8-bit, whatever. Uh, injected with HDR and what this allows is essentially you to artificially boost the overall brightness of the screen which helps counteract the brightness drop you get from black frame insertion or even even if you're not using black frame insertion you know if you're using the really advanced CRT filters and this thing has some crazy filters on it that are really good uh, inserting all those little black dots and sub pixels grids into your your image also dims the screen right so if you have especially if you're doing black frame insertion plus these filters at the same time your brightness drops so much so by doing this you can claw a decent amount of brightness back making the image look a lot more intense as a result and honestly i think that's the future for this kind of thing in terms of pushing as much brightness as possible out of these old machines uh even if it's not technically correct and that's one of the big issues is it does require the, the 4K RetroTink seems like it's going to take care of this better, but for now, with the current RetroTink, you do have to tweak the colors a bunch, I'd say, because the default image is a little bit weird looking. The colors aren't quite right because you're not really sending what the TV would perceive as a normal HDR signal. Uh, so, you know, that that is a slight drawback, but you can make it look pretty good, and I find it to be quite usable. And, then, and then, yeah, I definitely recommend installing that firmware update along with you know check out all the other features he's been adding so many resolutions and and just crazy stuff to this thing it's it's really unbelievable so when eric benoit asks what consoles do you think benefit the most from this amazing feature it's basically all of them yes every single console <laughs> anything that goes in here benefits from it uh okay you know of course you know black frame insertion specifically is most useful if you're doing 60 frames per second you know, if you're at 30, it's really not that useful because then you're just seeing the double image effect anyway. So I guess you could say that it's least beneficial to the Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Literally throwing shade there. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, next question from Trans Tech Girl. I've been advised that HDR impacts performance sometimes a little sometimes a lot so my two questions are does it really impact performance if so why i personally use hdr whenever it's available and always assumed it was essentially a free upgrade uh well alex there is that sort of scenario that with xbox one s where they actually overclocked the gpu slightly 
uh, and they said it was to accommodate HDR, suggesting there is some sort of performance overhead. And I seem to recall that some older GPUs had um, like a transform filter that was missing that needed to be emulated in software that caused a hit to performance. Um, but what is the situation in the here and now? I don't believe it has actually an impact to performance anymore, at least anyone uh, that one would care about. Um, right. B uh, barring uh, weird, you know, extraneous cases where for some reason the game is broken. Um, so I don't <laughs> think this is a... I don't think this is a um, a concern anymore, and it's definitely not a concern on consoles. Um, and I don't think if you have anything a GPU from the year twenty eighteen or later that this will matter. So, Transtech girl, uh, don't worry about it so much unless you have a rather old GPU at this point. Okay, short but sweet. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This one from Murph. Uh, with the Steam Deck becoming more widely available and drawing more attention to other deck-like systems, where does this new product type fit into DF's regular content? Would be great if Alex added optimal deck settings to his optimization guides. This is, again, Alex, this is quite an interesting question, right? Because um, I think what I have found is that your standard optimized settings do kind of translate to the Steam Deck, but basically you have much more um, leeway to, to drop things lower and you don't really notice so much on the deck. Yeah, so obviously, like, you know, I do, like in terms of what does this mean for my content, I could and would add deck settings when it's a particularly interesting case and or when I have enough time. So not every video allows me to dip my hands into the deck and say, like, these are appropriate settings for it. Um, so that's the thing to, to consider. But what, uh, building up what Alf Rich said, yeah, there are, you can t typically start using most of the optimized settings I've already generated over time, but um, you can drop in certain places. Like, I honestly don't think uh, a number of post-processing things need to be very high resolution or good looking. So. You can really drop motion blur down. You can drop things like depth of field down. Uh, you probably also should look into dropping anisotropic filtering down because uh, the deck's uh, unified memory architecture uh, makes things like anisotropic filtering more expensive, much like it is on console. So that is a thing you would probably want to drop. And honestly, something like 4X on that tiny screen, it's not perfect, but it's also not as glaring as it is on a larger screen, for sure. Um, and then, you know, there are obviously other things that you should just generally t tone down because you're dealing with mobile hardware. So probably a once one notch lower for something like Shadows than I would usually recommend. Um, what is another kind of usual setting? It's debatable in the game whether you need also like high quality SSAO always. Like you can get away with like a lower SSAO setting and be completely fine. Uh, so th that's the way I put it as well there too. Um, I would, I, honestly, if, if, if time were infinite, I would love to dip into the deck for every, every single video, probably, um, because it is an interesting PC device and uh, it shows like the scalability. It, it says like whether or not this game is really, really scalable. And I, like, I think a great PC game usually should be in some way. Um, and that's really cool. Um, but I also really wanted the deck to start supporting things like ray tracing uh, 
not because I I would recommend it for every game, but I, at that point in time, I could also say it's like a fully functional PC. I still think the deck OS still needs to like cover more games than it does right now. Um, because yeah, that, that's just the way I feel, um, about it. But in general, yeah, I, I love covering the Steam Deck. It's a really cool thing. Question for you in the audience though. When I generate settings, like I think 60 FPS is off the table for, uh, for a lot of games, uh, just by just generically how the deck works and how most games are targeting 30 on console and things like that. But would you prefer if I targeted for my optimized settings something like 30 FPS or 40 FPS? Uh, 40 FPS adds constraints to video development because I have to start capturing the game in a strange way to show off 40 FPS, or, or should I just target 30? So I would let you and the audience write your comment below what you prefer. Well, that's an interesting point there, Alex, because it's not actually just the settings in the game that are of interest, but actually the settings on the deck, um, because it has that little control panel there that lets you change the refresh rate of the display, which is crucial in a lot of titles in getting a smooth experience. Um, you know, for example, before that feature was there, I'd play control at 30 FPS on the deck. But now the, the, the feature is there. I can play at 40 FPS and it feels a lot smoother. I could even move it up to 45, 50 and uh, performance. You know, it, it's not really a performance issue. It's a battery life issue at that point. So there's there's so many different things to consider when when looking at the Steam Deck. I think the other thing which is quite interesting is um, as we're discovering the CPU overhead or rather the kind of lack of CPU power. You've got far less CPU available than you have on, um, uh, you know, even sort of entry level desktop machines, I would I would venture to select uh, to suggest, uh, which also has an implication on settings, because when the CPU is really occupied and it wants a lot from the GPU as well, you get some really bad frame time stutter. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. I'm really going to be fascinated to see these kind of next generation um, portable devices based on the Ryzen 6800U, which has eight cores, a bit more processing power, um, and a bigger GPU as well. And I'm really curious to see whether that's going to translate into sort of like a game changing experience, because I think what I've discovered on the Steam Deck is a little goes a long way when you're dealing with much lower resolutions. And when you're not specifically targeting 60 frames per second, it's quite amazing to see how much fidelity you can get out of this little machine. Uh, any any thoughts about the Steam Deck? You're, you've, you've used one now, right, John? Yeah. But you're still not, you still haven't jumped in. No, I, the only reason I haven't jumped in, it really is just the screen. Like, I, I just don't like the screen. <laughs> if there was an OLED model, I'd have already purchased one. But I, I feel like... I don't. I mean, I have no idea what the release plan is, and maybe they won't be doing anything like that. But I just feel like I'm going to hold on for a while until uh, we see one that actually has like an OLED screen, if that happens at all. I don't know. Uh, so that's that's it's a it's it's a conflict for me currently for that reason because I just I don't like cheap LCD screens. I hate looking at them. It's an yeah, unpleasant experience for my eyes. And <laughs> using the Steam Deck in person, I was really impressed with the unit, but like the screen is really not good. Like it just, it's, it's serviceable is what I'd say. But you tilt the mm -hmm. unit, you can see all like the, the color shift and all that, you know, the, the blurring is not great on that thing. You know, it just, you know, 
I understand why they did it, but man, do I want a nice OLED screen in there. Fair points. Okay, let's move on to the last question. This one from, and oh, oh my word, <laughs> Jove to be Hannes. Ooh. Sure. I don't know. Any thoughts on this one? I think I that's, the, that's how you pronounce it, yeah. Joel. Okay. I hope I'm not too late. Uh, but quite honestly, I want to know how you guys enjoyed your vacation. Did it feel refreshing not worrying about making a video deadline? This is coming from someone that has uh, that has shoot up their vacation until the end of the year and uh, been constantly working five to six days a week since January. Can't wait for my two-week vacation in October and my three weeks in December. So yes, all of us have had vacations in the last uh, month or so. Um, I'm going to go to Alex first to answer these these questions. <laughs> yes, this is an important one because work-life balance is harder uh, in video games than in under, other industries because it feels like, oh my gosh, the press and hype cycle is all about generating hype and like last-minute things yeah. and surprising people. It is not like... Um, planned production deadlines that we see at least. Uh, so it is very different and it's very, I would say work-life balance unfriendly. And I really wish the video game industry changed that, but they're not going to anytime soon because you keep buying those games, but that's okay. Um, so <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, yes, they are extremely refreshing. My, uh, I was in like the Northeast coast of Germany on what is the Baltic Sea in English. And it was just a really wonderful place. And the most important thing for me was the fact that it was uh, in a dead zone for wireless of any sort. And the house I was in did not even have uh, an internet connection, which was wonderful. Uh, not being able to respond or even look at the headlines was something that you don't get too often these days with the just the fact that we kind of use our mobile phones in a certain way of just like looking at them and just like putting them back. Oh, headline. Oh, oh Twitter. You know, you do that kind of uh, absentmindedly. And when you don't have that ability in the same way anymore, or even many electronics at all, I just didn't even touch electronics while I was there for the most part, um, it, it, it does a lot. So I highly recommend to you, Jove, to be honest, uh, to maybe on your uh, one of your uh, vacays there in um, October or December to try and take some time away from having a device in your hand, if you can at all. Yeah, and I, I did actually it. tell you to delete Twitter and Slack. You did, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, uh, John? I haven't, didn't delete them, but I've, I've started to adopt this new habit of off hours especially is put the phone in another room or somewhere out of reach. Cause I, I, I realize if I'm watching a movie or playing a game or something, I would often reach for the phone for whatever reason to check things. And that's bad. And it actually made me less happy. Uh, reading news, especially these days, reading Twitter, it's, it's, it's depressing. Uh, so removing that away, like putting it aside so you can't access it easily has been very, very good. And so I've been doing that more and more just to get away from it because it's, it's, it's too much these days. But yeah, the, the vacation itself was mostly good. I mean, it was a bit stressful because, you know, I was traveling pretty far to the U.S. And, but, you know, it was good to see family, uh, good to see friends. I got to go down to North Carolina and, and visit the headquarters of Limited Run Games, which was really fun. I got to try Bojangles for the first time, uh, which yeah, was that, most that was... excellent. I enjoyed that. And that's that's a chicken place, you yeah. said? Yeah, 
And then nice. we went on a large retro game hunt, hitting up like just like a dozen, half dozen stores down there, uh, which was really enjoyable as well. Although, man, like you go to American used game shops and I, I forgot like just the condition of the average game on the shelf is pretty bad compared especially compared to japan but also even compared to europe where it's just you pick up something like oh i'll take that game you pick it up it's like oh the cover's shredded there's like stains on it it's missing the manual the disc is scratched i'm just like i'm just gonna put that back uh that that <laughs> happens so many times like i can't believe how many times like wow okay let me check that out and you check it out and you're like Ugh, i'll put that back uh it's kind of shocking actually wash your hands it's i don't know what's going on but yeah I mean, I got some good deals though, for sure. But that's uh, you know why, John. Watt has got all the good games. That's why Watt has got all the good games. We yeah. went to a lot of nice home stores, but what we went to this like offshoot of uh, uh, Goodwill called the Grid, and hmm. they had some interesting stuff there. But the thing I enjoyed the most was uh, this gigantic bin full of Wii Motion Plus adapters. They must have had like 200 Wii Motion Plus adapters just thrown in this bin, five bucks a piece, white and black ones to match your Wii Mode color. Uh, it's it was fantastic. It was like a paradise. But so are Wii all of your Wii Motes now uh, properly upgraded? Of course. Although my main one is the one with Wii Motion Plus embedded. Of course. Oh my god. And then yeah, I got to go to so Kings Island in in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, you know, the amusement park there that I used to frequent back in the day. It was fun to go to one of those again and ride some of the roller coasters. I haven't done that in a long time. And that was uh, that was a good time. So, yeah. Uh, well, my holiday, I went to Jamaica. I haven't had a holiday for many years. Uh, so it was, it was basically a case of uh, just going hell for leather. So, yeah, um, cashed in air miles, flew to Jamaica, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, we stayed at resorts uh, at Montego Bay, but we flew into Kingston, which is on the other side of the country, basically. So we had to go through this north-south toll road and uh, you go up through the mountains and it was no problem on the way there. On the way back, there was torrential rainfall because it's the hurricane season in the Caribbean at the moment. And uh, we actually saw this uh, minibus on the other side of the road drive at full pelt through a massive puddle and flip right in front of us whoa what yeah it was, yeah it's like something out of burnout it's quite remarkable <laughs> and also terrifying of course yeah. yes <laughs> but it was on the other side of the road it's like a, a you know dual carriageway so it wasn't in any right. way near close to yeah. us but it was quite Thanks bizarre uh just basically stayed next to the sea for two weeks uh, which i find quite uh refreshing and um uh, peaceful Mm -hmm. and did nothing apart from eat lots of food and awesome. uh, and lie in the sun or rather <laughs> lie under umbrellas because the sun is yeah. brutal there Burn you it was, crisp. it was quite ironic that uh, while i was away the uk had its highest ever temperature of like i think it was 40.5 celsius and i think the maximum in jamaica at the same time was like 32 Cooler. but yeah. it's a different kind of heat yeah it's just so humid there. i found this too back in the states was like the humidity was so much higher than here in germany that even like yesterday was really hot in germany but it felt much less bad compared to the u.s where it's like even when the temperature dropped to like 90 and the sun went down you'd still walk outside and just immediately start sweating it's just yeah. it feels like you walk walked into like a super like a sauna or something it's terrible 
Yeah. yeah, so you know, from from my perspective, it was a full DF detox. Um, uh, the e work email was removed from the phone. Uh, Twitter was removed from the phone. Slack was removed from the phone, which essentially sort of um, uh, isolates me from all work related stuff. And uh, yes, it was it was very um, uh, very rewarding, <laughs> refreshing. And, uh, it is nice not to worry about deadlines. Uh, but at the same time, there were I did have to dip in a couple of times to uh, to, to give some pointers to Will um, stuff that was happening, but nothing particularly crazy. And yes, I had a great time, and hopefully we'll be able to have more holidays in, in the future. Yes, um, especially now. Um, well, actually, I was going to say the pandemic was is uh, not so much of an issue, but it kind of what? is. It still is. Yeah, it kind of is. It still is. It still is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay, but that's it. That's the end of the show. And I hope you enjoyed it. Please do like, subscribe, share. If you enjoyed the content, ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications. No guarantees there. That is by Disclaimer DF Supports Program. As usual, please do consider joining us. Get involved. Tons of early access, bonus materials, uh, amazing community, access to the team. It's all good stuff. Um, but that's it. That's it for DF Direct Weekly number 73. And we will see you next week. <laughs>